have read, because typically it would be an Old Testament reading, but uh, then as I looked again at verse 15 that begins, for this reason, I thought, well, it would probably be good for you to hear the reason why Paul prayed as he did. Hear the Word of God as it's found in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15 and reading through the end of the chapter. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now I have one more comment before I lead us in prayer, and then we launch into this, this passage. The Lord willing, today and the next two Sundays, I will preach messages from Ephesians. I am aware that you had a series from Ephesians in the last year, and I'm not preaching these because I think there's something wrong with what Brother Todd did. I'm preaching them for this specific purpose. That is to give us a focus on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as followers of the Lord Jesus. Why is that important? Well, because I think there is a tendency in our circles to dwell on the knowledge that we can gain through study and lose sight of our desperate need for the Holy Spirit's work across the board. Okay? So that's where we are. Now, if you'd bow with me in prayer, and then we continue. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. What a gift. What a blessing it is to have it. I can't help but think of our brothers and sisters in Malawi and in East Africa, and how most of them don't own Bibles. They don't have the money to even buy one. Even pastors may not own their own Bibles. And here we are with this wealth, multiple copies of it in our homes, carrying it with us on our phones. And yet, Father, for all that wealth, we are still so desperately in need. We are in need of your Holy Spirit's work. So help us now to understand what that work of the Holy Spirit is to see the great things that he might do in us and is doing 
and then to grow. To grow in our following of the Savior so that he might be more and more lifted up and honored in this place. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you conscious, some of you, maybe many of you, of your struggles and failures in life? If you're living and breathing and conscious of your own life, then I suspect your answer to that question not only is, but should be, yes, I recognize there are failures and shortcomings in my life. What's the best thing that could happen to you today? Well, we may have a lot of different answers to that, a lot of different things we'd like to see happen, lots of longings and so on. But I want to suggest to you that the best thing that could happen to you today is to come to know God better. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the one true God. And and he said this, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. It's eternal life itself to know God. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of the knowledge of God. He said, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. The best thing that could happen to you and me today is to grow in the knowledge of God. And if, my friend, you are here today a visitor or whatever circumstance, and you don't actually know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, this could be the day it starts. This could be the day that you come to know a Savior and thereby know the living God. And if that happens, it's because the Holy Spirit was pleased to open your eyes and grant you sight of your own need of a Savior and the perfect sufficiency of what Jesus did in giving his life in the place of sinners. This could be the day. May God grant it to you if that's your need today. So how do we come to know God better? Well, I've already alluded to it, but let me just make the point clear. We come to know God better through his word. It is infinitely important. All the different things you and I know, and there are lots of different things that you and I need to know in the course of this life, from raising children to treating spouses to interacting with people that bother us to doing our jobs and many more, there are lots of things we need to know, but the most important is to know God, and it's through his word that we know him. The thing I have to say that we Reformed folks probably don't say quite enough, I think, 
is that knowing what the Bible says isn't sufficient. Wow, did he really say that? This guy that spent 14 years here preaching and teaching the Bible? Yeah, I said it. Just knowing the Bible is... You know what you could be if you really know the Bible without what the rest of this sermon is about? You could be a fantastic Pharisee. Because that was the Apostle Paul. He was a fantastic Pharisee before God opened his eyes because he knew the Word. And he knew how to use it to beat people over the head and feel superior and criticize those around him. I used to be quite a Pharisee myself. Seminary can do that to you. But I don't blame the seminary. It was my own heart. And I needed the work of the Holy Spirit to move away from being a Pharisee. Maybe you need that work too today. And whether you're as desperately needy as I was some years ago or not, may God grant his blessing on his word today. Because here's what was true of the believers in Ephesus. They had the Holy Spirit. Okay? We just, you just heard it. Uh, Chris just read it from the latter part of, of the first section of chapter 1. The Ephesian believers had the Holy Spirit, and yet Paul prayed this prayer. What's that tell us? Well, it tells us that though they had the Holy Spirit, they were in great need of his deeper working in their lives. You and I are in the same camp, okay? We're in great need of the deeper working of God in our lives. Now look at what happens when the Spirit works. The phrase is the beginning of verse 18. If you have your Bibles or your phones tuned in, you look at the beginning of verse 18 of Ephesians 1. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Wow. There's a knowledge of God's Word And then there's a knowledge of God. And sometimes we mistake knowledge of God's Word for actually knowing God. And actually knowing God requires the work, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off. One of our daughters used that expression recently. She's a little short on employment but she gets a day job here and there. And she's grateful for that. Uh, It's helping her pay the bills. But she calls them one-offs. Okay. Having the work of the Holy Spirit in you is not a one-off. You don't get the Holy Spirit when you come to know Christ, although you do get to know Him, but you don't get Him one-off, and then it's done. That's why Paul prayed as he did. It's a fantastic prayer. We're going to break it down into its three parts. What the eyes of our hearts actually 
are enlightened to see. And by the way, the word heart in the scriptures never, ever, ever, ever refers to the center of your emotions. It is not the emotional word the way we use it in modern English. The heart in Scripture is the center of your being. It is intellect, will, and emotions all wrapped together. Everything that makes you, you, is your heart in the Bible. So to have the eyes of your heart enlightened is to have everything that makes you, you, opened up so that you can actually see. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that going on, you may have lots of knowledge packed into your head, but very little of it is impacting the way you live, or the way you think, or the way you speak. So back to the beginning. Those of you who nodded, yes, yes, I'm conscious of my failures and my weaknesses and and my struggles, whether it's words or deeds or thoughts, and we have struggles in all those areas, But here's what you need. You need to learn to pray as Paul prayed. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not coming to you today because I, I just had this all together. This is, my, my prayers are just perfect. <laughs> they really aren't. My wife's are a whole lot better than mine, I think. Uh, But we do need to learn. We do need to start to make use of these wonderful things that the Bible tells us. We do need to recognize our own weakness and failure and then turn to God to ask his help. What I'm asking you to do today is to not only learn what this prayer says, but then to start to pray it in different forms, for different circumstances, for different people, for yourselves, for this congregation, that God the Holy Spirit would do in us what Paul prayed he would do in Ephesus. What is it that our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, are opened up or enlightened to see? There are three things here, folks. They're all significant. I'm not going to look at the clock because somebody reminded me I didn't have an extra 20 minutes to preach this morning just because the clock said 9.35 at 10 o'clock. And I forgot to look at it when I began, so we're really in trouble. <laughs> one of my brothers here, one of the elders who's known me for some years, when I, somebody said something about the clock, and I said, well, oh, I, 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 won't pay, I won't be looking at that, I'll look at He said, well, when did you ever look at the clock? (laughs) Thank you, brother, for that reminder. Three things here that we see more clearly when the Holy Spirit is at work enlightening the eyes of our hearts. The first one is the hope of God's call. Colossians 1, what is our hope? It's the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Peter 1, you were born again to a living hope. 
Titus chapter 2. We're looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that those all are looking off somewhat in the distance. Because that's what hope does, folks. You need to understand this. Paul makes it very clear in Romans 8. He doesn't say it here, but we need to understand the way Paul understood hope. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he sees or has? Suppose you lose your keys, and you're hoping you'll find your keys. And then you find your keys, or boys and girls, you've lost your favorite toy, and you hope you or your mom finds your favorite toy. And then the keys or the toy get found and they're in your hands and you don't say, I hope I find my keys or my toy because they're there. Hope always has to do with what's future. Even earthly hopes have to do with things that haven't happened yet. But this hope, this hope has to do with something that comes when Jesus returns. And it's fantastic what that's going to be. Because sin will be done. You wrestle with sin and disappointment and failure. Well, there's a day coming when it will be no more. You have sickness and sorrow and pain. There's a day coming when they're done. The evil one assaults you with thoughts that that would tear you down. He's not only defeated now, but when Jesus returns, he will be cast into the pit forever. That's your blessed hope, people of God. And what do we do instead? Now look, I want want to make clear to you, there's, there's nothing wrong with having all sorts of hopes associated with this life. Okay? Our problem as Americans often is that we substitute those for what we really ought to be hoping for. We get so wrapped up in hoping that things work out the way we want them to work out, whether it's relationally or aesthetically or any other way. We want things to work out the way we'd like them to be, and we get so caught up in hoping for that development that we lose sight of something far bigger, far, far bigger that we should be hoping for. That hope of the blessed appearing of our great God and Savior. When the kingdom's consummated, when all evil is put down, all justice is executed, all righteousness is exalted, and glory be to God, we're with Him forever. And if you don't hope for that and you substitute something else for it, you may be a follower of Christ, truly, but you've substituted rubbish for wealth. Your longing for the return of Christ is what it is to know God. Let me remind you of the language of the text. That God, the Father of glory, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. To know God is to have this focus, the eyes of your hearts being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Knowing God involves knowing, focusing on, appreciating, looking forward to the hope to which He has called you. It's not the advancement of your 401k that is the center of life. It's not the success of your political party that is the center of life. It's not your hopes for where this nation is headed or may you hope it won't be headed that is the center of life. It's the return of Christ. It is the blessed hope. And what does this have to do with now? Some of you have great struggles. You have sorrows. They're overwhelming you, maybe even at this point. As a congregation, there are needs as well. And I'm not here to make any further announcements. Maybe I know a little bit more about some things than some of you know, and I don't know nearly as much as some of you know about the problems that are being faced. And I want to remind you that there are good things besides, and they've already been touched on in this, in this worship service. Uh, a young couple. You are a young couple, by the way. I got four kids that are older than either of you, okay? So I don't care that you're well into your 30s. You're still, a, you're still a young couple, okay? A young couple that's come to be members here, and we delight in that and look forward to fellowship with them and growing with them uh, and all other kinds of blessings, but there are also struggles, aren't there? And in the midst of those struggles, sometimes we get lost. We get so weighed down by the struggles that there are that we begin to lose our way. I'm not going to tell you that the struggles are going to disappear. The sorrows or the pains or all the other things that we might be bothered by. They may go on for some time. You remember what happened to Jesus? The Holy Spirit came upon him to equip him for his public ministry after the baptism of John. And what did the Spirit do? Drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Boy, I bet there are some teachers nowadays that don't want to hear that. That's what the Holy Spirit did? Yeah. Struggles may come as the Holy Spirit leads you into situations where there are difficulties. But in the midst of that, you look beyond the difficulty to that hope I've already spoken to you about. You learn by the grace of God through the Spirit's work, exercising faith, that there's a better day coming. And it's not a better day in this world order. It's a better day for eternity. When the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, 
we see the hope of God's call. Secondly, we see the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is spectacular. Imagine for a moment, but you shouldn't imagine because it's true. If you know Christ, then you belong to God. You are his inheritance. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Okay? 1 Corinthians 6. And because we're not our own and have been bought with a price, he owns us. But what does God do with what he owns? He cares for it and provides and protects and watches over and guards against harm. He uses even difficult things to draw those who are his closer to himself. He has a design for all this junk that's going on around us. And it's a good design. We may not always understand it. We may have trouble believing it. But it's a good design that God has for you. He's working things together, all things for your good. And the hard things that come that we don't understand and we wish they were over with are still part of God's good design for you. Why? Because you're His. But I think there's another side to this inheritance language here in Ephesians 1. Not only do we belong to Him, He's given Himself to us. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's language from the Old Testament that carries on into the New. It's covenant language. God has entered into a commitment to be your God as well as to make you his people. Again, my friend, if you don't know Christ today, and a lot of this is just sort of not making much sense of it, I invite you simply to recognize your need of a Savior, to turn from sin, and trust that Jesus gave his life in the place of repentant sinners so that you can enter his family. And then all the things we're talking about today belong to you because you belong to God. Hallelujah. What a day that would be. We are not alone, my friends. We're not left to wonder and wander and work things out on our own. That doesn't mean life is going to be easy. There will be failure and disappointment and sorrow and loss and pain in each of our lives. But we not only know God, we have been known by Him. And if you're in the middle of sorrow or loss or disappointment or pain 
or failure now. Know that God understands and cares. He's not sent this to destroy you. He sent it to draw you closer to himself. We are his and he is ours. And the riches of that glorious inheritance in the saints are just overwhelming. God grant you grace today to see it more clearly, even in the midst of sorrow. Thirdly, we have the hope of God's call, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Here's the one that's probably the hardest for us to believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You'll recognize this verse. If I just tell you the verse, it might not immediately come to mind, but so many of you have such good knowledge of Scripture, it may come right to your mind. John 15, 5. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him He will bear much fruit. What's the end of the verse? This is critical. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, that's a bit of a shock. I really like the vine and branches part. I like the idea about bearing much fruit. That would be pretty cool. But apart from him, I can do nothing. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Now, unfortunately, some of us actually like it that way. We'd rather not have the responsibility to have to do anything. We'd rather sit back and wait for somebody else to do it. And then when you start talking about this power, this resurrection power that the Holy Spirit's going to teach us to understand so that we know that God is at work in and through us fantastically, well, that gets a little scary, doesn't it? Most of us would much rather say, oh, I really don't think I'm called to that. Oh. No, that that just seems, I'd be too uncomfortable. That takes me out of my comfort zone. It it would be so hard to go do that. My wife and I did a really dumb thing 11, 11 and a half years ago. We didn't realize how dumb it would be. Uh, I retired and we moved to Mexico. (laughs) Never lived outside the country in my life at age 62 I moved to a country where I don't know the language, and, uh, and I'm not in some big city where it's really cool to live and lots of neat, lots of neat things going on. We're living in this podunk village out in the middle of nowhere, an hour from Guadalajara with a thousand people in it, and only two of them speak our language. <laughs> and I didn't realize what a good thing God had led us to. 
because it taught me some things about being weak and incapable. And those were actually some of the most valuable lessons of my life. I'm sorry I didn't learn them until after I left here. But I learned what Jesus was talking about at the end of John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, you can do lots of things, you know. You can get involved in lots of activities and be very busy, but actually not be doing anything for the kingdom of God. Not be doing anything to advance the cause of Christ or the glory of his name. Because the only way you can do that is by God's strength. And the only way you come to understand God's strength in you is by the Holy Spirit's work. And I remind you, dear friends, it's not a matter of you get, of your having it through your head and storing up the knowledge so that you can break down this sermon and repeat it word for word. Well, don't do it word for word because you can do a better job than I'm doing. But just knowing the words does not transform your life. They are infinitely valuable but insufficient. Because unless the Holy Spirit teaches it to you where you are day by day, the hope of his calling the riches of his glorious inheritance, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, unless the Holy Spirit teaches you, you're not going to get it. You may go back to school and get a PhD, but you're not going to get it because it doesn't come just from going to school. It comes from the Holy Spirit working in your life and in your heart. Long for that people of God Seek it, search for it, cry out to God for it, ask Him to do it. It's what the Spirit does for Christ's people and His church. Now, here's what often happens instead you come to recognize your weakness, and then there are two directions that you might go in that are not so good. You come to recognize your weakness. And you just despair. I'm hopeless. I can't do it. Or you come to recognize, this one's even worse, actually. That one sounds bad, but this one's even worse. You come to recognize your weakness, and then you say, I just have to try harder. That's like a Christian mantra in this country. I'll just have to try harder. Baloney! You're not going to go anywhere by trying harder. What you need is grace. What you need is God's work in you. What you need is the Holy Spirit to teach you to lean on Him. So don't do those two things. Either fall into despair or just try harder. Learn to pray. Learn to ask God for these good things that he freely gives to his children. God isn't up there waiting to say, well, he didn't ask with the right words. 
Uh, uh, she messed up on that last phrase. I'm not going to give her that. Uh, she didn't ask enough. I've got to wait seven or eight or 40 more years. No. God is generous and good. He longs to give to his children all these good things. And we ask for the wrong stuff. Our prayers, it's good to pray for all sorts of things, okay? So please don't misunderstand the next thing I say. Remember I said, it's good to pray for all sorts of things. But our prayers are so full of diddly that we forget to pray for the big stuff that God says we should have. Wow. Wait till we get till next Sunday. Wait till we get to next Sunday and look at the Holy Spirit's work in teaching us the love of Christ. If that doesn't knock your socks off, I don't know what would. That's an old expression, kids. <laughs> there are a few of us here that's, that still know that. If that doesn't move you and strike you as wonderful, then there's something wrong. But what we have here today is this great work that the Holy Spirit is doing and will do and can do and we must ask for. Now notice what happens. I'm going to wrap up with this. Notice what happens where this prayer leads. It leads to a hopeful looking forward to the return of Christ instead of filling life with hopes for what this life offers. You know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3? Momentary light affliction. I'm always amazed at that because he knew terrible afflictions. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen... Because the things that are seen are temporal, transient, temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Where's your focus fixed? I'll just illustrate that one very quickly with my own failure. I like football. I like watching football. And you know what? More often than not, the team I'm rooting for loses. And sometimes I come away from that saddened. And I realized not too long ago, this is really stupid, Steve. Six months from now, you won't even remember who played, much less who won. So it's okay to watch football. By the way, I hope you're here next Sunday instead of tuning into the beginning of the uh, not Super Bowl Sunday, Lord's Day, that happens to have a football game played on it. But enjoy your games, but don't fix your heart on them. Don't let the winning or losing of your favorite team inordinately affect you. Because what the Holy Spirit does is lead us to a hopeful looking forward to Christ's return. Secondly, what the Holy Spirit does is produces a joy that you belong to God and he belongs to you even in the midst of sorrow. And thirdly, what the Holy Spirit does 
brings us to the place of a deeper confidence in the reign of Christ and his readiness to work through you, his people. We can seek this word of this work of the Holy Spirit because one who knew and knows the Father perfectly took the Father's wrath in our place. That's the gospel, friends. He always obeyed the Father and yet bore his, the Father's wrath against our sin in our place. And now that Savior lives to intercede for us. So make this prayer yours publicly and privately and expect great things from your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we, uh, we are weak people. Sometimes we like to think we're strong and that we have it together, but we're wrong. We desperately need you day by day. We need the work of your Holy Spirit, that forgotten member of the Trinity for many of us many times. And we pray for that work today, that he would accomplish these great things of which we've spoken. In Jesus' name, amen.